You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly guide to science and innovation. Hello, I am Mark Inatponhuis. And I'm Leo Stevens. Welcome to The Brief, where we cover two concepts from science and business. Hey Mark, what have you got for us today? Hey Leo, today I want to talk about research impact. So the performance and ranking of researchers is generally done using a number of key performance indicators. And one of these is called impact. And traditionally, or conventionally, it's been considered to be the contribution made to academic research, measured in terms of publication metrics, grant income metrics, commercialization metrics, to name but a few. However, over the last 10 years, this definition has been continuously widened to include the contribution that research makes to the economy, society, environment, and or culture. And in particular, universities and grant agencies have been working to come up with ways to measure the impact of research findings being communicated via social media platforms. And universities are now slowly but surely adopting metrics to capture impact from social media platforms. For example, the alt metric score captures activities from platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And this score is now commonly reported in addition to the number of citations for some academic publications. And these are the key aspects of research impact. Thanks, Mark. So what is the value of having a high impact from the perspective of a researcher? Is this helping them get promotions or is this something that will help them get grants down the track? Is it both? All of the above. If you have high number of citations or high number of impact, that will have a positive effect on your ability to gain promotion and also to obtain grant funding and also attract students and also it improves your marketability if you want to move to a different institution. And is there consistency in the way that impact is measured between different institutions, between different grant schemes, or is it you know, idiosyncratic with each one? Yeah, not at all. There's no real convention between them. I mean, number of citations is pretty straightforward. It's the number of times your articles have been cited. But... Generally speaking, if you operate in different fields, then different levels of citations are seen to be as good and some are not so good. So it really depends on the field that you're in. Different universities look at different ways in which impact is measured. Social media platforms are notoriously hard to capture as well in in a metric. And a lot of universities are still only looking at activity on Twitter and don't really take into account what happens on some of the other media platforms. So there's a principle in business, whim week, what you measure is what you get. Um, Is is this something that you have seen your fellow scientists can try to gamify, I guess, to to boost impact scores in ways that aren't how they would normally have conducted their research? Well, you can say the same thing about citations, of course. I mean, it's a game. It's a game that you can play in order to increase your citation. And it's the same way with social media. You can play certain games to improve your social media score and your social media 
uh, exposure. Of course, everything is a game. Well, I guess particularly with social media, there's this obvious rort where social media engagement can be paid for. You, you can buy engagement through advertising on the social media platforms. Is that in any way accounted for or managed by the organisations? No, because you can, in effect, buy your citations as well if you're overly nice to people and you spend a lot of money going to conferences and expose people to your research and have a personal connection with people because it's easier to like someone if you know them. Obviously, vice versa, it's easier to dislike someone if you know them as well. So it can have a, a fire back as well. So uh, you can continue to boost your metrics with money and that's probably not going away anytime soon. That's a really good way of summing it up, Leo. And it doesn't matter whether that's citations or whether that's social media. If you have money, you can keep on expanding. So what have you got for us today? All right. Well, speaking of business growth, um, I wanted to talk about the term seed investment or the seed round. So this is something that people probably hear a lot in the entrepreneurship world. Investor funding is generally sourced in various rounds rather than the company trying to pick up funding kind of continually throughout the whole process. They'll do it in distinct rounds so the founder can focus on funding and then return their focus to the core business. And at the very beginning of this process, the founder might actually put up their own cash or they might tap some of their friends and family to support the business. But as it grows, so does the funding needs. And many high-growth businesses move on to angel investors, venture capital, and perhaps eventually even listing on the stock exchange. Seed rounds are in the middle of this journey. They come after friends and family, but before the large institutional investors like VC funds. They are usually filled by angel investors who are investing their own money into the company and who may also become advisors or board members to that company. A typical size for a seed round would be something like $500,000 to $1 million of new money and a valuation of the company at a few million dollars, say two to ten. A common time for the company to look for seed investment would be as the founders graduate from an incubator program. They will have a minimum viable product and perhaps some customer feedback, but the revenue they're generating off their product is still not enough to fund the business's planned growth. The seed investment might help the company hire some engineers to accelerate product development, or perhaps bring on a sales and marketing team to ramp up those revenue flows. In most cases, seed rounds will be followed by the venture capital round, the first one being called Series A, but we'll leave that for another day. Thank you, Leo. If I get this correctly, a seed round is at a stage when a company is not necessarily making a profit yet. Definitely not making a profit. They may not even have any revenue yet. They may only have a prototype product that they've kind of shown to customers, but haven't sold it to a single person yet. Do you know anything about the success rates of taking seed funding to then successfully building your company into a profitable? Um, I think profitable is something around one in three. In terms of good returns for the investor, it's more like one in 10. And they, they do kind of have a rule of thumb that if you're an investor, you know, about one in every 10 of your investments will end up paying for the others because it will return enough to, to cover what have been pretty mediocre results elsewhere. And you mentioned a, a, an amount of about 500000 in new money, mainly coming from private investors or angel investors. So if, say, angel investors put in $10,000 each, does a company then have to deal with 50 private investors or do angel investors put themselves together in a conglomerate? Angel investors will typically either invest a lot more than $10,000 or they will pull together as a syndicate, as a conglomerate. So... 
groups like Sydney Angels do form syndicates, they call them, which might have 20 people in them, each investing ten dollars to $15,000. So you end up with $300,000 between them. And they also have what's called a sidecar fund, which is another vehicle that matches any funding the angels put in themselves. And then once you've got the money from those investors, often early stage companies will also match that funding again through government grant projects like accelerating commercialization. So when they're trying to raise a $1 million round, the actual requirement from new angels might only be 300000 or something, which can then be doubled and redoubled through these kind of matching schemes. So you mentioned the matching schemes. What does the government or the taxpayers of Australia get back from doing this matching type of funding? Is that just prestige or does well, anything well, No, no, it's, it's probably more tangible than is research funding um, because the expectation is that this money will help a business grow and pretty promptly become profitable, be paying employees and returning tax dollars to the government through increased economic activity. So the, the business acceleration grants have a pretty compelling economic case as being uh, revenue generative for the government in a pretty short order, whereas scientific research, which I you know love and deeply support, generally it takes a lot longer before any return is actually brought back to the taxpayer. Or never. Perhaps never. Um, a f- quick final question <laughs> to end on a positive note there. So how long and what form does a seed round take? Is that an application, a pitch? All? It will almost always include a pitch um, and will often then be followed by a period of due diligence where the founder is working with the investors to go through the details of the business to answer questions and try to make, I guess, both sides comfortable with that the business is investable and then also agree to terms of that investment. Great. Thanks, Leo. That's probably all we have time for today. Make sure to tune in next time. See you then.